Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. I want to welcome you to Seacoast this weekend. Uh, wish you a Merry Christmas. Can we say that now? It's December, so uh, you can say it back to me. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Feels good. Uh, I want to welcome all of you who are here. I also want to welcome my wife, Lisa, who's joining uh, us this weekend. So y'all say hey to Lisa. It is an honor and a privilege to be here. I always love being up here and sharing with Josh. And listen, if you are joining us from an offsite campus or maybe on the internet, we just want to send out a special welcome to all of you. We are so glad that you are joining us this weekend. That's right. I have a feeling there's a few extra of you on the internet. In fact, during our last service, somebody from the internet texted our campus pastor here, Josh Walters, and said, hey, grab me something that we're doing a response time live. Uh, so we're glad you're here. You should have come out in the rain. It's not too bad. Uh, but those of you that are here in the rain, we're glad. I don't know where you're watching from, but in this area, it's been a downpour all morning. So if you hear like thunder or loud noises, it's just the Holy Spirit empowering the message. And, uh, but uh, we're excited everybody's with us. Hey, how many of you guys have ever done Ancestry.com or 23andMe? Have any of you guys done that? You know, where you have to kind of have to spit into a cup and give me your DNA. A lot of you guys have done that. That's great. It's, it's interesting. And it? our culture is fascinated with this idea of looking back at your heritage and at your lineage to figure out where you came from. And sometimes that's helpful to inform maybe even where you're going next. How many of you wish that maybe you like had a chance to do that on, the, on your spouse before you know the big day? <laughs> what are you saying? I mean, I'm just saying the first woman ever hung. Wow. That's uh, a reference to great, great grandma. Thank you for just... <laughs> That's Taking a real her thing, life down people. To Look that. up Mary Surratt. She did Surratt. a lot of other things. She was the <laughs> first woman thing. <laughs> ever hung by the U.S. government. Mary Surratt. You can Google that. But, um, but I was upfront about that when I met you. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you, you can find out some things, right? Uh, I know in my lineage, there's some shady characters for sure. Uh, but there's also some cool stories of some people who made decisions in their life that are still impacting my life today, generations and generations later. You know, wouldn't it be cool if you just had a day to spend with one of your ancestors? Like, if you could just pick one of them. And I think about my great-grandpa and how he um, started an orange grove in Florida. And I just think, like, you know, there's so much wisdom when you've lived a life and you've made mistakes, but you've still lived a really successful life. How cool would it be just to, to pick their brain? And I think there's so much that we could learn, especially in the craziness of the holiday season. Yeah, and so we're basically going to do that during this series. Uh, now, we're not going to grab any of your more recent relatives, but what we're going to do is we're going to look into our, our spiritual lineage, and we're going to pull some people out and, and almost interview them and see what they may, may say to us during the, the Christmas season. Now, uh, many of you may not know this, but in the Bibles that you have, especially the paper Bibles, you have an Old Testament and a New Testament. There's a blank page between the two, and that represents about 400 years of history that happened between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. We don't know a lot about what happened during that 400 years, but one thing we can have some level of confidence in is that Jesus at some point filled out one of those Ancestry.com surveys, spit into a cup, because Matthew chapter one opens up with his readout. It's like his report out of his lineage. Check it out, Matthew 1.1, it starts and it says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And if you've ever read Matthew chapter one, this is about the point that you start to skim because it's just a list of names. It's a list of people that, that going all the way back to Abraham, and it's a lineage that would lead us to, uh, the, to, to Jesus, to the birth of the Messiah. And so 
What's interesting about this is if you, if you took the time to listen and to understand some of the stories, there are some amazing stories that are represented by those names. You have some wins, some losses, some failures, some victories, a lot of stories of, of hope and of, of healing and of faith. There's 42 men listed and there's four women other than Mary that are listed in this lineage. Now that's interesting for a couple of different reasons. One is that typically women wouldn't even be included in a genealogy like that. It's typically just listing the, the men based on the culture that they lived in and how they kind of saw things. And so it's just odd that there would be four women. And what that tells me is God probably had a purpose in that. There's probably a reason that he included these four women in the, the lineage. And so essentially what we're gonna do during this series, it's called Bearing Christmas, Carry Hope, is we're gonna look at some of the great, 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 give or take some great grandmothers of Jesus. And look at, hey, why would God include them, these women, in the, in the Christmas story? And what might we be able to learn from their lives as they lived lives that pointed to and carried the lineage of, of the Savior as we enter into this Christmas season, Advent season? What can we learn from their lives that might help us do this a little bit differently and a little bit better? So I think it's gonna be fun. If not, uh, we'll all know it as it's happening. So. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. You know, I was thinking about um, grandmas, and I, both of my grandmas have um, gone to be with the Lord, but grandmas offer a very special type of wisdom, right? They've, they have a lot of perspective and experience, and, you know, it's one thing to advi ask advice from another mom. Maybe, maybe you're going through a parenting challenge or something, and, and you ask another mom, but when you ask a grandma, a grandma has not only walked through probably a similar situation that you are currently walking through, but has also, they've already walked through some things you haven't yet gone through. And so you know that if, if grandma's freaking out, it might be time to freak out, right? <laughs> but if grandma is cool and, and calm about it, you're, you're probably gonna make it. You're probably gonna be do, doing okay. And grandmas have walked through lots of different Christmas seasons and, and experienced the highs and lows and challenges. As we enter a Christmas season, right, we end up carrying whatever emotions that we're going through, whatever's going on in our life, um, whether it be good or whether it be challenging, we carry it a little, a little heavier, right? I think about, you know, the first time we had a baby and you go into the Christmas season um, anticipating their very first Christmas and how that joy is just magnified, right? You're just so excited to see um, the joy on that little one's face. And we've also walked into a Christmas season experiencing grief and, you know, that family member is not there for the first time and we carry that so much heavier. And... Um, maybe, maybe you're struggling with certain just aspects in, in your life. Maybe you're not where you thought you would be, or maybe life has kind of thrown a curveball at you, and so we, we end up carrying some of that a little bit heavier. No matter what it is that you're experience, experiencing, you end up carrying it a little bit heavier. But you know, wouldn't it be a tragedy if we walk into this season carrying all these things a little bit heavier but we forget to carry hope. Because Christmas, that's what it's all about. Jesus was the hope of the world. God loved us so much and wanted to, to include us in his life. And so we, wouldn't it be just a tragedy if we forget to focus our attention on that hope? That's right, and these women that we're gonna study literally carried hope. Uh, they carried the lineage of 
hope and their lives, even if they didn't know it at the time, were pointing to the Messiah. They were pointing to the hope that they had. And so the first woman that we're gonna talk about, the first grandmother that we're gonna talk about is found in Matthew 1, verse five. Uh, and if, if, if you've kind of started skimming through the, the genealogies, you stop at verse five. Here's what it says. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz. We don't know if that's North Atlantic salmon or Pacific or farm raised, but there's salmon there. And salmon has Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Mother was Rahab. How many of you have heard of Rahab? Just show of hands. I know some of you probably have, some of you may not have. If you don't know who Rahab is, you don't quite understand the shock that probably the early Jews would have had when they realized that God was including Rahab in the story of Jesus, because Rahab had a difficult past. In fact, Rahab is known as a woman who was a prostitute when we first meet her in the Bible. So why would God include Rahab in this genealogy? You know, a couple of reasons that it's interesting. One is, I think, and I love it, it shows the kind of people that God uses. You know, he could have just glossed over and just pointed out some of the highlights, but God, the Bible doesn't hide from the flaws of the leaders that God uses. It doesn't hide from some of the, the terrible stories. It goes into great detail and at times to, to talk about that. And here we have this woman, Rahab, whose life work up to this point is as a prostitute. We don't know if that's because she chose that or if that's because of something that somebody did to her, a position she was put in, we have no idea. But we know that what the world saw her as was a prostitute, but what God saw her as is someone that he could potentially use, not because of what she had done up to that point, but because of her faith and because of her obedience to, to him. And so that's why we hear about David, who's a man after God's own heart, but we also know that he was an adulterer and he was a murderer. We hear stories about Jacob, who God changed his name into Israel, and he's the, kind of one of the fathers of, of the nation of Israel, but we know that from the time he was born, he was a liar, and he inherently lied all the time throughout his life, but God used him in spite of that. And I, I love that, that God includes Rahab, because I think it's hope for you and me that he could include us as well, regardless of what we might be walking through. And so Rahab is included here and is considered a hero of the faith, even though she was a prostitute. Her inclusion in this genealogy of Jesus is also interesting because in the ancient world, you know, when people wanted to assert their authority or their right to rule, they would stress their ancestry. This, this was particularly true in the Roman Empire that was in charge when Jesus was born. You know, would-be emperors made sure that they found connection to some of the most important people in Rome's past to show that they had the pedigree to lead. You know, that it was actually in fact that um, inevitable that they should lead. So Augustus went to great pains to make sure everybody remembered that he was Julius Caesar's adopted son. Tiberius made sure that everyone remembered that he was Augustus' adopted son and et cetera, et cetera. You know, but the point is, when we're rolling out our genealogy, you wanted to make sure that it was full of the best and the brightest, right? Not exactly prostitutes. But what I love here is that the God of the universe, he has no problem with including liars, murderers, you know, the thieves, prostitutes in his story. These are real people with real problems. He included all of them 
And what I love the most is that he wants to include all of us. That's right. So, so wouldn't you agree that a, a woman who was a prostitute at one point in her life, and now, not only is she included in the lineage of Jesus, but in Hebrews 11, there's kind of the, the biblical hall of fame. It's like, a, the, the, it says there's a great crowd of witnesses that's surrounding us, and it lists off these incredible heroes of the faith. Rahab's included in that as well. So wouldn't you think we could learn something from that life? Someone who went from there to there, uh, that God redeemed her story in such a way that we could learn something. And so here's what we wanna do. We're gonna act like she's with us today, and, and we're gonna kinda interview her, kinda hear some things that she might say to us based on what we know about the life that she lived. And by the way, if you're here today and maybe feeling a little bit disappointed about where life has taken you to this point, or feel like you, you, know, you haven't quite gotten to where you hoped you would be at this point, I think you're gonna find a lot of hope in this message. So let's jump in. If you have your outline sheets, you can kind of open them up. If you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter two. The first thing that I think Grandma Rahab, if she were with us today, looking at our lives would say, and she would tell us, you are never too far from God for him to find you. Look for him. You're never too far from God to find you. You just have to look for him. And what, what I love about this story is that, that again, she's a prostitute. Let, let's go back, Joshua chapter two. This is kind of the, the setting, uh, if you will, for when we meet her in the Bible. Uh, you remember the Israelites had gone through the wilderness 40 years. Moses is their leader that experienced all of these incredible miracles, but they'd also experienced a lot of hardship. They're finally there. They're finally at the edge of the promised land. Moses has passed away. Joshua is now their leader, and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River to go in to occupy the land that God had promised them. I love that in this Advent season, you already see this idea of waiting uh, evident in this story of, of Rahab. The, the nation of Israel had been waiting for 40 years for the promise that God had given them. And so Joshua decides, we're gonna send some spies in. Look at verse one, it says, Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. And so the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. I'm thinking Joshua's going, that's not exactly what I had in mind when I sent you on a scouting mission. Uh, and, and you know, I don't know why they showed up at the prostitute's house, but a lot of scholars would argue, and I think there's a good case to be made, that if you were two men looking to, to not be noticed or not be seen, maybe undercover, that that would be a very natural place for you to show up and that nobody would notice that you were there. But, but regardless of how they got there, think about it from Rahab's perspective. Again, looking back, her now as an older woman, I think she would tell you, I don't care how far you think you are from God, he can find you because he found me in the most unlikely place. Look at the picture that I've got. This is a, a kind of a rendering of what that ancient city of Jericho would look like. And so there's two walls, an inner wall and an outer wall. All of the cities back then, that was their protection. That was how they kind of uh, locked things down when there was a war. And if you notice on the inside of that outer wall, all of those little structures, you know, all throughout there are these dwellings. And what would happen is they would build these homes where the back couple of rooms would be literally a part of the wall of the city. And so Rahab apparently lived in one of these homes and her home was built into the wall of the city. And of all of those homes that God could have shown up to, he shows up in her living room. I'm telling you, she would go, do not be surprised when God finds you in the most unlikely of places. You know, for me, I remember I grew up in this church. I have been in this worship center more times than I could ever count. 
But it wasn't even in these walls that God found me. At 17 years old, I moved out of my house. I moved downtown. I went to the College of Charleston and I ran far away from everything I could, as far as I could, from, from this stuff because I felt like I had missed out on so much. Being a pastor's kid, all of the freedoms that I thought I was missing out on, the early curfews, the things I wasn't allowed to do. And I'm running as far as I can. And if you'd have asked me, I'd have told you, I am as far from God as I've ever been. But in another living room, my brother's home at an oyster roast, God found me. And if he can find me and if he can find Rahab, what's to say that he can't find you as well? You know, there are some of you that are here today and maybe you have believed a lie, that you're too far from God for him to find you. It's not true. He knows where you live. He knows what you're going through. He knows your disappointments. He's a lot closer than you think. Yeah, I believe he's already at work in some of our lives, even as we gathered here today. And you can kind of sense that God is drawing you. He's pursuing you. Some of you maybe have believed a lie about a loved one, a friend, a family member. You thought, there's no way that person. Man, I, if I could just tell you some stories of God finding the most unlikely people. Don't give up on somebody that God hasn't given up on yet. You're never too far from God for him to find you. For Rahab, he showed up in, in her living room. She found him, but, but in a lot of cases, we gotta, be, we gotta have our eyes open. We gotta be looking for him. I wonder if God showed up in our living room today, if a lot of us wouldn't even notice because we're so distracted, because we're not looking for him. So how do we actually look for God? What is it that keeps us from seeing him at work in our lives? You know, like Josh talked about, just distraction. We're in a you know, day and age of technology where we're constantly looking at our phone. I find it hard to even drive anywhere without being distracted by my phone. What about busyness? Especially, right, during this crazy, busy holiday season, your to-do list is a mile long. That, for me, that is absolutely what it is. It's busyness. You know, can we give ourselves some permission to just maybe say no to a few things? Maybe slow down and um, maybe eliminate some of the noise? Maybe be intentional to have some din dinner time conversations with our families to say, hey, where did you see God at work? Did you notice God at work in, in your life today? You know, take time, be intentional, take time this Christmas to look for God, look to see where he's at work. So the first thing that Grandma Rahab would say is, you're never too far from God for him to find you, look for him. The second thing that Rahab would say is, God invites you to be part of his story, join him. Yeah, I just imagine her being like, hey, listen, listen, that's good news, point one, but he's not just gonna find you, but he's actually inviting you to join him in what he's doing. Like God wants you to be a part of what he's doing. I think she would go, I would never have imagined that, that God would take my life where he took it, but when I opened myself up to him, when I gave my life to him, man, he allowed me to be a part of his story, and he can do the same for you. Going back to the story, Joshua chapter two, remember he, he finds her, these spies show up in her living room, and then let's keep reading the story, verse two. It says, but someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Those two guys were probably good at a lot of things, but spying apparently wasn't one of them because <laughs> immediately they get found out. Kind of a side note, uh, if you go to places that you're not supposed to go, you're probably gonna get found out in the most inopportune times. Just kind of, that's a, uh, it's free. That's a different message. Do that another time. <laughs> but the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. 
He says, bring out those men who have come into your house. They have come here to spy out the whole land. And so Rahab now, God's found her. These men have shown up to her home. And now she's at a point where she's got to make a decision. And look what she does. It says Rahab had, had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. Lie number one. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. Lie number two. I don't know where they went. Lie number three. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Lie number four. So she basically tells some righteous lies, okay? She was doing the right thing, telling a lie. Some of you are going, well, I wonder if it's okay for me to tell a lie. Well, run it by your spouse and run it by your pastor. And, and if we say yes, then you're good. But otherwise, probably not a good idea. Most of the time, not a good idea. But in Rahab's case, she is literally making a decision to join up with God, to, do, to, to be a part of what God is doing. It says in verse six, actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. As soon as it's safe, she reveals to the men that the entire city is afraid of them. And she has ultimately come to a place where she found herself having to make a choice. I can continue to live the life that has gotten me to the place I am now, or I can choose to join up with what God's doing and partner with, he, with, with what he's up to. You know, I think about what a, a kind of predicament that she's in, right? She, why would she choose to side with Israel? I mean, she has a choice to hide these spies. And, you know, I think that as she had heard all of these stories about the crazy power of this God, this God of Israel who, who dried up the sea before they left Egypt and, you know, who defeated these kings, I think she decided, you know, that story sounds like something I'd much rather be a part of than the one that I'm in, right? You know, in ancient Near East, God and goddesses were actually kind of considered local. So when two cities went to war, it was actually considered this sort of cosmic battle. And these two cities' gods were fighting each other. So whichever city won, they would say, oh, that god is more powerful than, than our god. And so from the perspective of Jericho's inhabitants, you know, the stories that they heard, they convinced them that, that this God of Israel was exceedingly powerful. His reputation had preceded him, and now his people were on the move, and Jericho is standing right in the way. So who is Rahab? Which side is she going to be on? So she really got to understand just the power that this God had, and she decides, I'm gonna follow that God. You know, every week here at Seacoast, we encourage people to respond to what God is saying to them. The truth is, is just like Rahab, right? We, you come week after week and hear stories in the Bible and you hear testimonies of other people where God has moved powerfully in their lives. And the truth is, you have a choice too. We have a choice to decide, will I listen? Will I respond? Will I believe that God can do that in my own life? You know, and really what our response looks like actually, I think, matters far less than, than our actual decision to respond. You know, Rahab's response delivered a city into the hands of Israel. But I think the most important moment in her story was the moment that she decided to get on board with God's story for her life instead of her own. Yeah, and I think if she was here today, she would say, 
Stop resisting what God's doing. Some of us, if we were being honest, we've been resisting the move of God in our lives. And there's maybe something holding us back. I don't know if it's fear or if it's pride or, or what it might be, but man, say yes to God. Say yes to him. He's inviting you to be a part of a story that is so much greater than your own. Get on board with it. Uh, I love James chapter four and verse seven. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's kind of a formula. You submit to God, resist the devil, the devil has to flee. But so many times in our lives, we do the opposite of that. We submit ourselves to our flesh, whatever we feel like doing. We kind of go, you know, whatever. I know God's word says this, but I'm gonna do what feels right for me. We, we end up uh, resisting the work of God in our lives and we end up living out the consequences of that. And, and again, I think if Rahab were here, she would go, hey, get on board. Stop resisting what God's doing. We've got a five-year-old in our home right now, Ellie, uh, and Ellie's wonderful, but there are times, maybe a few times a week, that Ellie resists what the rest of us are doing. You know, so we'll tell her, hey, the family's going here, and she'll go, no, I don't wanna do that. And uh, it's interesting, because for Ellie, the family's gonna do what the family's decided to do. The question is, how, how difficult is the journey gonna be for Ellie to get on board? I mean, that's the end of the day. Like, I'm thank, thankful for your opinion, but you're, you're gonna need to get on board with what we're doing. And I wonder if, how, how often that's the case for us, that God is up to something. God is on the move in our lives, and the question is, are we gonna get on board with it or not? How much, how much difficulty are we gonna have to endure before we finally decide to get on board with what God is doing? And I think if Rahab were here, she would say, give your life to God. He can do so much more with it than you can. So how did Rahab join God's story? What's interesting to me is it wasn't just that she made a decision to say, I'm gonna believe in you and I'm gonna trust you, but we see it with her life. I mean, she, she joined God with her hands and her feet. She literally had to hide some spies. She put her life on the line. She, she, she went all in for God. I love how James 2, 25, when he's reflecting back on Rahab's life, he says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, it says, so also is faith dead without good works. So what about you? Is there an area of your life that you need to join God with, that he's been inviting you to participate with him, to, to, to join up with him? He's been on the move in your life, and maybe you've been resisting that. Maybe you're in a dating relationship, and you know it, your friends know that it's toxic, that this person is not right for you, and yet you've continued to ignore the warning signs and you've ignored kind of the move of God in your life and, and you're like, I'm just gonna follow my heart. And I would just encourage you, stop resisting what God's doing. His plans for you are so much greater than, than the ones that you even could come up with for yourself. Get on board with what God's doing. Some of you, maybe there's a dream that God's called you to. He's called you to be a part of something, maybe to take a risk or to start something or to join up with a great uh, movement of what he's doing and, and you've just, something's kind of held you back. Fear maybe, you know, uh, pride. I don't know what it might be, but, but I would just encourage you, get on board with what God is doing. For some of you, it's the church. It's, it's making a, an intentional effort to connect up with what God is doing through his local 
body, the church. And, and for you, that might mean getting involved in the dream team or saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop just kind of attending every week. I'm gonna take a step to get connected and to serve and to be part or to join a small group and to really get connected with some people that when life really gets hard or when life really matters the details, Monday through Saturday, that you've got a community of faith that you're a part of. And some of you, that's what you need to be a part of. For some of you, it's your finances. You know, it's always one of the last things to get saved, right, is our wallets. And some of us, man, we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I like this and I'm cool with this God thing, but, but I, I'm not sure I wanna trust him in that area of my life. Maybe you've even heard us talking about this special end of the year offering that we're gonna do in a couple of weeks and we asked everybody to pray about it. And I know some of you, because I've been there, you know, I'm not praying about that. You, you kind of already made up your decision. And, and I would just say, are you open to joining up with God and what he's doing in your life? I don't know what it looks like for you. But where are you resisting? I, again, if Rahab were here today, she would tell you, you are never too far from God for him to find you. Just open your eyes, look for him. And she'd say, even better than that is that he wants to, he wants to invite you to be a part of what he's doing, join him. And then there's a third thing that I think she would tell us if she were here today. She would say, God redeem my story. Give him a chance to redeem yours. Give him a chance to redeem yours. She would say, I, I had no idea when I was living in those moments, when I was being used day after day after day, I had no idea that God could take that amount of brokenness and do something beautiful with it. I had no idea that, that not only would he save me from that, but that he would use me to be a part of our story, to be a part of his story. God can redeem, if he could redeem my story, he can redeem your story too. You know, I was reminded of this concept that God can use us regardless of our past, regardless of what's happened in your past, whether it's something you chose to do or maybe that you didn't choose to do and, and it just happened to you. Um, just recently, Josh and I were um, on a trip. We were headed out to California to go to the 10-year anniversary celebration for the A21 campaign, which is an anti-human trafficking organization that I worked for for about uh, a little under five years. And um, we, we were between flights and we were sprinting across the airport trying to catch our second flight. And we, we made it just in time. And so we're out of breath and we're walking down the aisle and I hear this voice, Lisa, Lisa. And I'm like, who is that? And I look over and I see somebody that I, I definitely did not expect to see. Um, it was a, a dear friend of mine, and I can't really say her name or much about her story, but she was the very first girl we ever had the privilege and honor of being part of her rescue. And you know, I remember all this, just at that moment, all this flood of emotion came back to me because um, I just remember this girl who was completely broken. I remember in the early days, um, you know, just doing our best to speak hope into her life. And, and I remember her just by her demeanor and the words that she would say, she could not fathom that God could heal her and that God could use her to do so much. Because what, what lied ahead was God's plan. She could have never made it up. In the days to come, she, she walked through a healing process and um, over years, those, those wounds became scabs, which then turned into scars and, and she started to find hope and healing. 
And she started to see vision for her life. God gave her this beautiful vision that, that she was gonna help other girls one day. And before you know it, she's on staff with A21 and has created a peer support group and is now working with 23 other girls who have been rescued. And she had the opportunity to go and sit in front of the Senate and speak to the Senate and share her story, to tell them, hey, we need laws changed. There are girls just like me that are out there and, and we have state laws that are just, they're not, they're not adequate. God has used her far more in all of the brokenness. He took all of that brokenness, he healed her, and he has been using her to the nth degree. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, he totally redeemed her story. And she was on her way out to the same celebration because A21 was sharing her story with a group of people to celebrate and to kind of epitomize what it was that they were trying to do, you know, that it's always about the one. And so God redeemed her story God redeemed Rahab's story. And we can be inspired by that, but sometimes it's hard for us to believe that God can do the same thing with the one that we're walking in right now. You know, go back to Rahab and how the story kind of turns out is after these men uh, leave that were coming to, to try to find the spies, she, she tells the spies, hey, uh, I know about your God and I wanna, I wanna join up with what he's doing. And, and so I've protected you, I've hidden you, and she kind of lets him out the back of her house and gives them kind of a back way to get back home. And, but she says, hey, would you, in return, would you save me and would you save my family? I know what's getting ready to come and, and I'm asking you to save me. And so they kind of make a deal. They say, yes, we will, uh, we're coming, but what, what I need you to do is uh, you need to hang this scarlet cord, is what the Bible calls it. Uh, hang it from your window outside of the city wall and when we come back, if we see this scarlet cord hanging outside of your window. We will save whoever is in that family. You're not gonna be harmed at all. And so they make this deal and they take off and, and it's, the Bible says that she immediately hangs this scarlet cord outside of her window. As I was reading that story these past couple of weeks, I, I began to think about how many times did she look at that scarlet cord? I don't know how long passed between the time those spies left her home and the time that they came back, it had to have been at least a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, because all of the people of Israel, maybe one to two million people, had to cross the Jordan River. And as soon as they got across, the first thing that they did is they did an adult male circumcision. So every adult male was circumcised, uh, and it, they had to take the time to heal. I don't know how long it takes to heal from adult male circumcision. It takes me about a week to get over a cold. Um, so <laughs> I would guess a couple weeks there. And, uh, but, but how many times did she, did she see this scarlet cord hanging from the window. And what did she feel when she would look at that? Wonder what emotions kind of crept up in her. Because this cord represented a promise that God had given her. That if you'll give me your life, I'm going to save yours. And it was a promise of a new faith. It was a promise of a new family, a new future for her. And I wonder how many times she saw that cord and clung to that promise to say, I'm believing. I've risked it all. I've gone all in to, to believe that you're gonna save me. I wonder if there were moments where she was, had her doubts. Are these just another couple of men that are gonna use me, that are gonna trick me? I wonder how many different emotions she felt when she would hold on to this promise, when she would see it and walk by it. But ultimately what we know is in Joshua chapter six, 
God did as he promised. He, he fulfilled that promise. He saved her, he saved her family, and he gave her a new future. And she would go down in history as a woman whose story was redeemed to be a part of God's story. I believe he wants to do the same thing for us. I believe it's a beautiful picture. As odd as it is, and some of you saw your outline sheet and said, my church is talking about Rahab on week one of a Christmas series. But you know what, I think the, the hope that she had looking at that scarlet cord is a beautiful picture of the hope that we anticipate during this Christmas season. Because anytime you see scarlet in the Bible, it's pointing to Jesus. She may not have known it at the time, but the same hope that she was putting in these, these men to save her family ultimately represented the hope that the people of Israel were putting in a savior and a Messiah. And he came and his name was Jesus and he was born as a baby, Emmanuel, God with us because he wanted to redeem your story. So one of the things that we're gonna do today during response time is there are little baskets uh, here and at our, all of our campuses. And in those baskets are kind of smaller versions of this scarlet cord. And if you're here today and you're praying and hoping that God would redeem your story, maybe your whole story, some of us are gonna give our life to Jesus today. We're gonna say, I'm gonna trust you with my life, surrender my will to you and give you my life. Or it may be a part of your story that you're asking God to redeem. And what I'm gonna ask you to do at our campuses and campus pastors will lead you in it as well is to come and to grab one of these scarlet cords and of all the things that you're gonna carry during this Christmas season, the stress, the financial burden, the extra pounds, let's not walk through this season and not carry hope and not be reminded of the, the promise and the redemption that Jesus offers us. It's personal for me. I know one of the things that I'm doing as I carry this scarlet cord, I've had it in my pocket, is I'm praying for my sister. About two weeks ago, we were informed that Jenny, my sister, was diagnosed with breast cancer, 36 years old, out of the blue, totally unexpected. And so for me, one of the parts of our story that I'm praying that God's gonna redeem is, is this diagnosis. That not only is he gonna heal her, but I'm believing that God's gonna use this story, this story that she's walking through right now to, to provide an opportunity for many, many, many people to experience healing through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of God. And so I'm just praying every day, mm -hmm. God, would you redeem her story? Would you heal her? But would you use it? Don't let us walk through pain and not have purpose in it. And some of you are walking through your own challenges. You're walking through your own situations. And as you grab these cords, I want you to, to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus and, and ask him to redeem our stories. Would you pray with me as we close? And if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. As we kind of enter into a couple of quiet moments, I just believe that there's probably one or two people that are here today. And at the end of the day, you just need God to redeem your story, your life. Recognizing that Jesus came, that he died on a cross for your forgiveness for your healing, for your redemption. And maybe you're here today and, and you've not made that decision or maybe it's been a while and you feel like there's a lot of distance between you and God and you would say, I, I want God to redeem my story by giving my life to Jesus today. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. And as we just kind of have a moment of privacy and eyes are closed, I'm just gonna, if you would say, Josh, I want you to pray for me that God would redeem my story. I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up in the air. 
Would you do that real quick? Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Looking to my right, your left, and on the floor, just lots of hands. That's fantastic. Middle section, awesome. Great, great. I'm gonna pray for you. Pray for you. Here on my left, you're, yeah, you're right, awesome. Up in the balcony as well. Looking, anybody want to just say, God, include me in that prayer. Okay, great. At the campuses, we're raising our hands as well. Awesome, awesome. Telling you, dozens and dozens of people here doing that. Let's just pray together. God, as simple as we know how to say this, we wanna give you our life. God, I give you my life. I trust you with my life. I give you my story. And God, I just pray that you would bring redemption to it. I wanna trust you, Jesus, for salvation. I wanna trust you, Jesus, that you will redeem my story to, to graft it into a much greater story, which is your story. So God, we surrender ourselves today. We ask that you'd bring purpose to our pain. We ask that you'd bring redemption to our stories. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen.